we have to start thinking about propensity to learn and start hiring for potential. We talk about this, but we never do it well. We need to hire for potential to learn because actually we can teach people the skills. Welcome to the Talent Blueprint, your guide to building a talent-first company. Today's episode features an interview with Wagner Denuzzo, Head of Capabilities for Future of Work at Prudential Financial. The Talent Blueprint is brought to you by Beamery. Beamery's talent lifecycle management platform makes it possible for companies to deliver more human talent experiences and unlock the skills and potential of their global workforce using industry-leading AI. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I am Sultan, president of Beamery, and today I am joined by an amazing guest, Wagner Denuzzo. Wagner, thank you so much for joining us. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. Uh, we have a lot of exciting topics to discuss including the key ideas emerging for the future of work, as well as uh, some of the fascinating things that you've been doing at Prudential. So let's get into it with our first segment, the blueprint. It's a blueprint. This doodle is called a blueprint. Just screw up a little blueprint. And it's right here in this here blueprint. So Wagner, tell me about your role at Prudential and, uh, and the work that you've been doing there. Thank you so much, Sultan. And thank you for inviting me for this discussion. I know you guys do a lot of future-oriented conversations, and I'm very excited about that. My role at Prudential is the VP of Head of Capabilities for Future of Work. And I've been doing this for the last three years. And in fact, when I first got there, I never heard of a role like this, right? Head of Capabilities for Future of Work. So you can see in the last three years how far we've come. And that's what I do there. And what was the biggest opportunity you saw when you first joined in this in this unusual and new role? It's the great opportunity of creating something new. My team was just three people. They didn't realize exactly what future of work would become. But my first impulse is to start thinking, what do our employees need to know before they embarking envisioning a future that's better than the present. And immediately we thought about forming teams on analytics, learning, career, and organizational design and organizational development. Immediately came to mind the idea that actually we could transform the way we work, the way we think about work, and the way we manage our people. Well, it sounds like the role has cut across pretty much every side of talent from the analytics to the experience. What's been the most rewarding part of, of that journey so far and of your role over the past two years? Actually, it was right in the beginning when you have the energy that everybody wants to do something new. The beginning of this journey started by thinking, what are the skills of the future? What are the the ways in which employees can start being empowered by knowing their own skills, understanding the skills-based economy, understanding that actually how they portray themselves on LinkedIn outside Prudential actually matters because they become ambassadors of our brand. So this was very exciting because within three months, we had a talent marketplace. <laughs> we implemented a talent a marketplace that had AI and machine learning. Within three months, we launched this with big open houses so people could touch and feel what it's like to add my, my skills, recommendations to new jobs or potential career paths that they never thought about. 
So this idea that we gave opportunities for people to reimagine themselves was the most exciting thing. Well, this takes us nicely to, to our next segment, which is really digging in to your, your journey at, um, at Prudential. A real journey. Become the journey. And to kick that off, when you talk about these uh, bold themes of what are the, the skills for the future of work and these initiatives of engaging employees in something new in the form of talent marketplaces and this conversation, how have you thought about measuring the success of these initiatives? What types of metrics have, have you been using or thinking about to benchmark how these bold initiatives have been running? Well, first, you have to understand the context in which we brought this up. Prudential had the strategy to transform itself, the business, within three years. And what we needed to do is to organize ourselves to think about how can we envision the business in the future. So for us, it was very important to organize my team, to organize all this um, in a way that people could understand. So it's contextual. We start by measuring the number of people who became interested in the platform. So it was very, very basic metrics. The metrics about adoption. How many people go into the what we used to call skills accelerator, today's talent marketplace? And actually it got to 82% within a year. It was really well accepted because we didn't make mandated, because that's the problem with programs. Mandated programs never get to the outcome that we desire. So we measure how many people participate and engage. Nowadays, I think what's most important to us is how many people choose to upskill and reskill, how many people actually took the courageous act to cross functions. So what we are betting on is that now we believe that we have a culture where people believe that they can cross-functionally build their careers and grow a prudential. And we've been very lucky because our internal mobility increased by 11 points, percentage points. And we are very happy about this because that indicates that this skills-based economy is relevant to our people. So it's really impressive to hear the kind of success you've had with a new initiative or a set of new initiatives on skill centricity and in talent marketplaces. But you've touched there on also having to navigate culture change in getting there. And until you had that early success in particular that you can use to to build on this is working, what are some of the frictions that you ran into either on the rollout of these new employee experiences or otherwise when you were first bringing in these new initiatives into the fold? This is interesting because what I could talk to you about is how important it is for us to think about the human element of, of all this. Because the biggest resistance, it was people contemplating change. I think it's about change management. We try to introduce new things when people are not ready or we don't provide support for people to feel safe and secure to try something new. And that's a problem. So to me, the resistance was a natural resistance of a long tenure population because Prudential is has a long history of being very supportive for employees. And that was hard because you are proposing a changing mindset. So when you think about mindsets, that's exactly what we need. We need people who are not afraid of thinking something could be changing. Then we have the friction of 
when you introduce technology, when you introduce ways of working, they are much simpler. It's hard for leaders to understand that actually you have to give up control a little bit sometimes. You have to allow things to come to fruition through teams. And sometimes that's a point of friction because people feel a little bit of out of control. And that's the exciting part of, of the future of work to me is allowing this to emerge and feel that actually the outcomes are going to be better than what you have today. But to get there, you need to work with mindsets. You need to work with the resistance that's, that's natural. And then you have to show progress every quarter because that's how you gain support from executives. What are the frictions that we've seen other leaders run into as part of that um, getting of support and making progress each quarter is at the level of the experience itself, the having a good program, but then seeing that employees don't engage with it or that specific leaders don't engage with what they need to do to, say, set up gigs or, or be involved in this process. What have been some of the biggest experience challenges across the, the full talent lifecycle, whether it's for the employees or the, the candidates involved in the process, that you and, and a prudential team have, have focused on as, as part of this, um, this change management? I think it's enablement. When you think about enabling people to understand what you're trying to do, it's a really big part of introducing anything new. So enabling means you have to teach people to think differently. HR, for example. HR is primed for transforming itself because HR functions in silos, the way we do processes and cycles actually have been there for many, many years. Now with the agile teams, for example, how do you assess performance when your teams are mostly doing cross-functional work? How do you introduce the idea that telemobility should be open to anyone at any time? How do you start talking about skills as a measure of success in the company. So all this requires a lot of enablement. But also you need to think that digital experiences have to be beautiful. You know, not many people talk about this, but I do believe that if you want to engage your employees in engaging with technology in digital platforms, you need to make that as enticing as entering a store. And when you do that, People automatically get drawn to the design, to the ideas of how, how do, you, do you operate in this environment? And that was a big success for us because we made sure that there was a designer, user experience designer from the beginning. So people got a great experience out of the, the new platform. I couldn't agree more about the importance of creating that consumer-grade style experience. I'd love to take that and look forward. When you think about now that you, you've tackled some of these problems and you think about the biggest opportunity that lies ahead for you and your current team, if you had to describe in a couple of sentences your strategic priorities for the next few years and the next chapter, what would that be? It sounds redundant, but I have to repeat myself, skills. I think we are beyond the skills. Think about the candidates and the talent pool out there. When you think that there is a location agnostic movement happening because people are all over the country, sometimes all over the world, and actually the skills that you might need for your role, for your capability, for your platforms, they might not be available where you are. So it starts there. You need to think about how can I source the skills that I need and still continue to build the culture of a company that has primarily been collocated. Now we have to start thinking about the skills that I need for new roles. 
And the problem is, I don't think anybody found these skills that you can bring it together to create that cluster of skills that gives you the greatest outcome. So we are, we are still debating what are the skills that in clusters we can build a capability with. And once you have the capabilities, you have to deconstruct the work because the work has to be changed because there's technology process. And actually the people that have to be in that role might need multiple skills. So it is a really complex problem that we have today is about skills, but I go beyond skills. Because if you think about the ability of enabling people and teaching people and having potential learners as your population, I think we have to start thinking about propensity to learn and start hiring for potential. We talk about this, but we never do it well. We need to hire for potential to learn because actually we can teach people the skills. This is a, a topic uh, we could spend hours talking about in, in itself and is something that we, we, we at Beamery have been tackling from a technology perspective for, for several years. It's uh, pretty central to our mission of how you can use skills to create equal access to work and use technology to help assist with that uh, way of looking at potential by looking at adjacent skills and trajectories and actually technology and AI is the perfect enabler of this. But if we take a, a step away from the technology for a piece and just look at the the, the personal elements of coaching people for this and, and that sort of mindset, I understand this this, uh, this, this touches a little bit on um, the book that you're, you're currently writing. The book um, that that you mentioned when we we spoke previously around what it means to become a leader from the moment you enter the workforce. I, I'd love to to hear a little bit more around the the inspiration for that, and and maybe you could share a glimpse of some of the topic, topics that you're writing about. I love this topic. Thank you, Sultan. Because when you think about how many things a candidate or a early career professional needs to think about in terms of what prepares them for the workplace. Now we are introducing so many variables because now there is the hybrid workplace. That is, how do you build com uh, communities and relationships in a hybrid environment? And I think people are not prepared to absorb so much so quickly. So to me, I'm, I'm start writing this book about leadership from the start with the idea that leadership is changing as well. So if you think about the top to bottom and bottom to and, and the grassroots movement that we have today, people want a more um, autonomy. We already knew this, right? But now they want autonomy to fully deliver their skills. One of the biggest problems I've seen is that we ask for a lot of skills and requirements during our job descriptions and the process of recruiting. And then we place people in roles that they use 30% of their skills. So I think the, the biggest thing now is how can we bring all together and make sure that early career professionals learn how to behave in teams, how to lead in a shared environment. So for distributed teams, that's what I always say, distributed teams need distributed power. You cannot run an organization with distributed teams if you're not willing to distribute power. And there comes decision-making, the agile ways of working, all the good stuff that we have been nurturing for so many years. Now it's time to bring to fruition. But you cannot start developing leaders when they become managers. That's too late. You have to become a leader from the moment you enter the workplace because you need to lead yourself 
lead your teams, lead your organization, and lead the way you navigate this complexity. So that's what the book's about. It's about having curiosity, courage, and compassion. I think those three Cs are the future of work. I cannot, cannot wait to read it. It's uh, <laughs> extremely timely. Well, speaking of the, the future of, uh, of talent work, we'll segue into, into our next section, which is the future of talent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the future. And, and to kick that off, what w- would be your recipe for success as an organization today, as an employer looking forward? How should people think about what success looks like? It's not my own idea, but I think what's emerging collectively, let's think collectively, is the human-centered design, inclusive design. So think about the work, workplace, and workforce as an integrated body of work. And then when you think about, even Adam Grant the other day said exactly what I've been saying to, the workforce is a community. So why don't we take the perspective that we are building a community of expertise and individuals have accountabilities for the well-being of the community as much as for themselves and their peers. So I'm saying this because HR has to take a stand and start thinking, how do I fully commit to your current role, your current experience, and not start thinking about we're going to identify people for the next 10 years, identify programs that you, you stay for two years, then you become somebody else. But I think we are, we are still dealing with the problem that everything that we know works, it worked 20 years ago. We don't know what's going to work in the future. So why not integrate all the functions in HR and start thinking, what I need to do is create immediate experiences that make people feel connected to us because connectivity trumps everything. So when people feel connected to us, they are going to deliver their best and give them distributed power so they can act and decide for themselves on what to do. I think this is the future of talent management because imagine being attracted by a company that fully believes in your skills, fully believes in the concept of sharing and believes in your growth exponentially. And I think that's the future. I couldn't agree more. What I've seen our clients uh, often run into in starting that journey is the other side of connectivity, which is systems and data. Um, particularly when you look at the, the connective tissue that you're referring to of skills, how do you hire for potential in the recruiting systems we have and the data we have there, which then gets disconnected from once somebody becomes an employee, you kind of lose track of that. And then you're starting the, the, the process often from scratch and you have different data and different systems. Um, and then there's no connectivity to some of the tools you might be using for learning systems and what, what you're learning from in those systems. So when you think about the the path to get to that organizational connectivity and how that has a, a rooting in connectivity of data and systems, what are some of the, the biggest things that you think organizations can be doing better when it pertains to data and their talent or, talent or job architecture? And, and where can HR and TA leaders start when it comes to tackling these types of data problems? I love that because you probably have been researching this for a long time. And I think that's exactly it. We build knowledge about the pieces of the community. It's almost like if, it is, if the company is an organism, dynamic, adaptive, complex, and iterative, we need to think that getting the knowledge of its parts is very good. 
But how do you make the blood circulate through this body? How do you make the, the breath bring oxygen to every part of the organization? So what you're talking about is being much more comfortable with the data fluency, but in the flow of work, having organizational network analysis. Rob Cross talks about this now, right? Instead of looking at your organizations as silos, as the manager in their teams, and this is the expertise in this job family, that job code, we need to see the community as an aggregate of experiences and knowledge that's much beyond that. So what do you need to do? Create the connective tissue. When you talk about what you do, what we are trying to do is to create the connective tissues that allow people to understand where do I find those the talent that we need when I need it. Because to be honest, I'm in HR. I love design. I love uh, aesthetics. And I love communications. I do a lot of marketing myself. Why not marketing knowing about me or learning knowing about me? I, I used to do leadership development at IBM, of course. It's like if you know the people's history and the potential to support you, it's not the job description of my role. It's not the team that I belong to. It's not even the function I belong to. It's who I am. So we are becoming much more personalized by creating connectivities like you were mentioning. The connective tissue will bring to fruition the person. And that person is the value unit that we can work with. One thing I'm seeing as you're talking about this is the importance for an organization to have its different functions come together and solve these problems collectively, whether it's HR or TA or other business leaders, both in the ways of working and thinking about that joint culture change and in the different systems. And I think that's one of the challenges that many organizations run into because certainly until the last two years, those functions have operated quite independently. You had your talent acquisition tools and problems and you had your HR tools and problems and um, they've operated in a silo for, for decades. And the opportunities that you're talking about to, to get this across is, is to really think about that as a shared problem and create joint experiences, shared designs across that full talent lifecycle within, within your business, which, which I think is, is a core theme, if, if I'm reading the two sides of what you're saying correctly, into what you, what you see as organizations needing to focus on. And as, as we build on that, what do you see as the reskilling and upskilling component of that for existing employees and keeping up with the fast-moving market and the world that we're in the middle of? How do you see organizations needing to think about when to reskill versus upskill, when to look at coaching and training versus hiring for, for new capabilities? What are some thoughts you have on how organizations should think about this? Now, I, I'm going too far into the future, but thinking that we are thinking about the future. If we fully leverage AI in machine learning, actually we don't need resources trying to figure it out or nominations for programs, nominations for upskilling, reskilling. All this process of nominations done by people are really outdated. Because if you think about you interacting with the digital experience of your company, you interacting, and you could be an independent uh, provider too, doesn't matter. The ecosystem would include this two-way system of communication where I let the organization know what I'm looking at to learn and to develop. The company starts feeding me what is the opportunities on gig economy, on roles that are emerging, and new technologies they're they implementing. So this two-way conversation is almost like creating a profile that's a continuous 
nurturing profile. You're continuously feeding that profile. That way, when it comes to opportunities for upskilling, reskilling, and we have these boot camps and academies, actually the machine learning can advise me if I would be eligible for it. Um, machine learning and AI could allow me to have continuous view of what's available for my development. And if AI really works well, we have total compensation, we have total rewards, recognition, process asse- project assessments that I participated, some logging of the success that we have achieved, and actually my desire to develop it. Imagine if it, all this comes to fruition through AI and machine learning. We don't really need anybody to tap on my shoulder to say, hey, you, you're a top talent. Hey, it would be good to, uh, for you to go to go uh, do this. Because you know why I'm saying this? We are missing all the hidden figures, all the hidden jewels of people who might be a little shyer, who never had the exposure, but actually are brilliant people. And especially when you think about diversity and inclusion, how are you going to find diversity and inclusion in every corner if you're not using technology to allow people to emerge? So I think technology actually is creates equity of opportunity. People talk about equity in experience. I don't think that's possible. I have a different experience. You have a desire for a different experience. But equity and opportunity is exactly what we need to achieve. The... In some ways, this is less of a faraway future than it might seem. Uh, as, as you know, this is exactly <laughs> the kind of technology that, that we built. But uh, the technology being there is only one step in navigating this. Because for many organizations, there's now a growing fear of how do we use things like AI safely? And are there risks or concerns? And how do we know whether it might deliver on some outcomes like allow for example, in our in our products, we have career pathing and talent marketplaces. But do we know if the outcomes from that might end up creating or perpetuating bias? Uh, what have been some of the things that you have grappled with to help both at Prudential or, or in speaking to other organizations or leaders do to get comfortable with how to safely and carefully use this type of AI and this type of technology and how to take, tap into the opportunity while being mindful of the risks? You know, I would start by asking you, what has been your experience in the last 20 years with the humans make decisions about all this? Humans are flawed because we are flawed. We have our biases, positive and negative biases. And the process of creating job descriptions, for example, is a big one. It's a big gap that we have today. We create these elaborate job descriptions asking for all these requirements. And actually, one thing that we are doing is like we're eliminating the degree requirement. And then I would say the experience requirement, because I would add life experiences in diverse experiences as opposed to how many years of experience you have. Because how many years of experience you have in an industry, for example, in banking? If you spend 20 years in banking, probably I would count the last three <laughs> because things have changed so much. So I think that's what you have to shift. You, first of all, you have to acknowledge that we are all biased human beings. We have our opinions and we are blocked by our own network. And how do you combine all this in AI to bring you like talent pools that you didn't think about? 
So I keep thinking about the opportunity. I'm not saying it's perfect, but I think the opportunity is much greater to find the, the, the people that you need in an AI machine learning environment where actually they're giving you options that you never thought about. I love the way that you think about this as a comparison to human decision-making. And I think there's a lot of value when, if you're a business looking at where AI can fit in and how it works in going a layer deeper into that element of how would how does this AI even work compared to what we'd be doing otherwise. So for example, uh, on the topic of skills, one thing that we've been doing for, um, for the, the last few years of refining our AI models is looking at how can we do better than just looking at, for example, a resume or a LinkedIn profile where you don't have a sense of recency or relevance when you're looking at just skills. If you were doing this job well as, as, a, as, a, as an individual or a human being or a recruiter, you'd be trying to get context out of what do I know about this company or what do I know about people at this company. But there are ways in which AI can actually simulate that more reliably than relying on people figuring out what skills does this company have. And I think that looking at this as a partnership between organizations who want to go through this type of process of being skill-centric and doing this in a way where the AI complements the human decision-making would be uh, would be a good way for organizations to get comfortable with this because you're not replacing what you're doing. You're amplifying it and making it more reliable and consistent. Um, and I think that your, your comparison there is a, is a great way of thinking about it. To jump forward even further into the future, if we, if we imagine ourselves five years from now and uh, you, uh, you came back from that future and you envisaged the kind of things that would have changed, what would that be? Where do you think it will be five years from now? It might be good news for some people, but I think what we are going to have in five years is a huge opportunity to create what I call the composable workforce. The composable workforce does not require you to become a full-time employee, does not require you to be contracted with one company, and beyond the consulting arrangements that we have today, is really create a pool of talent, the Open talent. A lot of people are talking about open talent. It's exactly that. Why don't we create a support system for the open talent? Because we're going to need the benefits. The key of, of all this is how do you support the healthcare and the well-being of a, a community that's not connected to your organization through contracts? But I think there is a benefit to that because if those organizations that create the safety net for the open talent are supporting the open talent as an organization. So I think in five years from now, you're going to see that a workforce comprised of contingent workforce, of consultants, of open talent, independent talents, project-based. And the people who choose to be contracted full-time are the people who are really trying to develop themselves as leaders of an organization, leaders of, of, of others, and there is room for everybody. I'm much more optimistic about the future because the work that we are doing today, there's a lot of work that does not need to be there. <laughs> and there's a lot of work to be done. So I'm very ho hopeful that in five years, we're going to be merging the technology and the human capabilities much better. I share your optimism. Thanks, Wagner. You've uh, painted a, a very articulate and clear vision of some of the focus areas that you've had and that will happen to the future. Are there any areas where your priorities are starting to shift? I think in this moment, now that we are dealing with the, actually we are dealing with the post-pandemic world and the global economy is expanding every day, 
I think we need to start expanding the way we think about strategy towards talent and, and human resources strategy. And the way I would say it is that our priorities didn't change because we still need the top talent to be in the right place at the right time. But what is changing is the focus of my priorities. I think now we are focusing on the capabilities we are building for the organization. So with that, we need the four dimensions of the capabilities, which is skills and expertise. We need the design to be different, work design and organizational design. But we cannot neglect the idea of technology being the driver of so much improvements in the way we we, we create our strategy. So the transformation, the process, the technology, and the people are all one in the same. So my priorities still don't change, but now my priorities do not forget about the technology piece because technology piece is here to stay and we need to be advancing and actually be ahead of it. We are acutely aware of, uh, of our responsibility in helping leaders like yourself make that happen. And, uh, and and de- definitely an evolving role to play in, in different processes that, to where technology has been used before. I think there's a question of how it can be used more regularly or dynamically in processes that might have been previously run once a year, like workforce planning, um, which are now becoming processes where that technology and the use of technology needs to happen regularly, uh, weekly, monthly. Is there any specific area when you look at the uh, the landscape of things that you don't have the right technology for today that you're starting to look into uh, that that are under consideration. That's interesting because when you think about strategy and talent and all this, we talk about talent management. I think we need to follow the digital transformation of 10 years ago from the technology architecture. Now we have the talent architecture. I think what I want to see is technology being part of every piece of this talent architecture. How do you come in and help somebody upskill and reskill themselves with the continuous learning? How do you continuously help somebody in the flow of work to do the best work outcomes? And then in talent acquisition, how do you help this community of potential candidates always never forget about your company? So I need somebody who brings the the focus into technology as that connective tissue. So I think that's what I would love to see, a technology that can really crawl and start making sense of all the disparate pieces that we have today. Could, could not agree more, Wagner. Thank you for, <laughs> for sharing that perspective. I think the rate of this kind of change and this future of work evolving and coming at us is only accelerating. And so I imagine more people in this industry are hopefully going to start going into positions like yours of wearing future of work hats and helping create that, that sort of cultural acceleration within, within TA and HR teams. If you had to give one piece of advice to your past self going into a role like this or to other TA leaders that are starting to wear a similar hat of thinking ahead to that future of work, what advice would you give? Thank you. I've been thinking because I think every talent acquisition leader is is struggling right now, and we all should be. I give you the advice that I gave to a group of executives yesterday when I was talking to them. How about building the capability of talent attraction and retention as a capability for all leaders in your organization? When we all take accountability for becoming talent magnets out there, we all have the opportunity to develop narratives 
enticing campaigns. Prudential, for example, we are going through a major transformation. What a historical moment to join a company that's growing. When you look at our results, our results are great. So why not use the energy to attract others? Why do you need every single person at Prudential to start becoming telemagnets? And I think they like that because when we ask people to identify what is the capability of the future that we most need, is exactly that, talent acquisition and retention. So I'm very hopeful that this will help others because talent acquisitions, the only thing I would say to them is don't do it alone. You, you are not responsible for attracting all the talent. You are responsible for processing the talent pools that come through the door. But I think sourcing and identifying the, 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 the key value proposition for your company is everybody's responsibility. Well, thank you, Wagner. I share, share your vision of this, uh, this world where we, we treat this as a shared responsibility. And I um, appreciate you joining us today and sharing your perspectives. This, is, uh, this has been invaluable. You're very welcome. I love doing this because I think a lot of people are seeking the same answers that we are. So thank you so much for inviting me. It was very exciting. The Talent Blueprint is brought to you by Beamery. Beamery's talent lifecycle management platform makes it possible for enterprises to drive more human talent experiences and unlock the skills and potential of their global workforce with industry-leading AI. Beamery optimizes every step of the talent lifecycle, from sourcing and identifying talent with the right skills and potential, to building and marketing your employment brand, creating an internal talent marketplace, and mobilizing your employees through getting the reporting and talent insights that you need to make better decisions about your workforce. Are you ready to unlock your talent? Learn more at beamery.com.